Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 189. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lend It Fintech Conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's going to be happening April 8th through 9th at Moscone West in San Francisco. We're going to be covering digital banking, blockchain, financial health, and of course, online lending, as well as other areas of fintech. There will be over 5,000 attendees, over 250 sponsors, and registration is now open. Just go to lendit.com to register. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Jason Gross. He is a CEO and co-founder of Petal. So many people have heard of Petal. They haven't been around very long, but they have certainly been out there in the fintech airspace, shall we say. They are a credit card company, but trying to do something a little bit different, really making a, a credit card company for the underserved, for those people who really are rejected by the mainstream companies. And what they've done is not just create like a secured credit card or a very, very low credit limit type card. This is a card that really has a lot of the same features as a premium card, but it is targeted at the underserved. It really is. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating challenge that they've, they've undertaken here. And it was a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me, Peter. My pleasure. So I like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. If you could just tell us you know, what you've done in your career to date. Sure. Uh, so I am the uh, CEO and one of the co-founders of Cuddle. Um, originally trained as a lawyer. I well, went to Harvard Law School. I met two of the two of my co-founders while we were in school and we stayed in touch and ended up working together years later. Began my career working at a big law firm, corporate law, essentially as a Wall Street lawyer. Uh, my clients were all financial companies and financial institutions. And over the course of my career, transitioned from the legal side of things to the business side and also transitioned from kind of big Wall Street financial services to tech and then from tech kind of back around to, to financial technology. But you know, over the course of my career, you know, I've had the opportunity to first on the legal side work with some of the fastest growing, most successful technology companies um, and venture capital funds. And uh, in, 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 on the financial services side, you know, I've had the chance to work with some of the largest, most successful institutions in the world. That experience and the sort of breadth of that experience has been really helpful in my current role leading Pedal. Right. Okay. So then what was it that led you, where did you get the idea from? How did it sort of, how did the process begin that led you to starting Pedal? Sure. Everything began uh, for us with a personal experience of one of our co-founders. So I mentioned that the founding team goes back quite a ways. We all knew each other in grad school. Um, I was studying law uh, at Harvard, and my co-founder was at MIT at the time doing a master's, and he stayed on to get a PhD in machine learning and data science. He has an international background, moved to the States for college, 
And uh, when he crossed over uh, uh, into the United States, he was not able to bring his financial record with him. So he was starting over from a financial perspective and was unable to qualify for many U.S. mainstream financial products. He did not have a credit history. So when he applied for a credit card, he was declined. Um, and that lack of a credit history impacted him in other ways as well. He had trouble signing a residential lease because landlords were checking credit. He had trouble setting up a cell phone plan that wasn't prepaid. Um, it's a frustrating experience that um, many folks who have crossed borders have run into. That got us talking about credit scoring, the data that is involved with credit scoring, and sort of how that legacy infrastructure works. Mm -hmm. um, and we were having the conversation right around the time that regulators and academics were starting to really shine a light on the contours of credit access in the United States. Where I think the light bulb really went off for us was in the realization that the poor experience that our co-founder had in attempting to access financial services, notwithstanding his educational background, his financial resources, et cetera, was not unique to him, but instead was the experience of tens of millions of U.S. consumers uh, basically on a daily basis. The research that I'm referring to in part is the CFPB's research on credit invisibles and thin file consumers. Mm -hmm. you know, as you know, there are tens of millions of, of adults in the United States with no credit score or with a thin credit file such that their credit score is not reliable. Right, right. Yep. So then, so you started Pedal. Why don't we actually take a step back and, and tell us what... You know, what is it you guys do? What's, what's your core product? How does it work? And, and how is it different to what else is out there? Sure. Happy to. So we have one product today. It is a Visa-branded credit card, unsecured credit card product. There's really, I think, three things that make our product unique from what else is in the market and what has existed up until this point. The first has a lot to do with addressing the problem that I was just describing. That is uh, what we call cash flow underwriting. We are providing a credit card product that in terms of interest rate and credit limit and fee structure, um, it's the kind of product that previously was only available to people who had built significant credit history. What we do is incorporate the data that describes the rest of a consumer's financial picture that's not captured in a credit report. We incorporate data like income, monthly expenses, trends and volatility in that information to essentially appropriately underwrite customers that today can't be well understood by the traditional system. So that's number one. And it allows us to offer people essentially more credit for less money. Um, number two, we offer a user experience that is designed for the modern consumer, for digitally native consumers, and that takes into account uh, the fact that so many of our users are seeking to establish and build credit in a safe and responsible manner. So there we offer a mobile app that is built around financial success and responsible use of credit. We embed financial education. Uh, we help folks to make the, the financial decisions in the use of their product that uh, benefit them um, and help them to succeed financially. We do not encourage uh, people to borrow more money than they should. We do not encourage people to spend more money than they should. We make more transparent 
the cost of interest and sort of the workings of a credit card in a way that I think really is a different, more modern approach to the product. And then, you know, finally, I would say number three, we're building a different sort of financial company that puts the customer's best interest first. And that means uh, that we are seeking to partner with our customers over the long term. It means that we want folks to make the decisions that are right for them and are right for them financially. Um, it's one of the reasons why we don't charge any fees and one of the reasons why the product is as transparent as it is. And the, you know, the, the business model there is, is really based on this recognition that today customers are looking for a financial company that has their best interest in mind. And if they're able to find that kind of a provider, uh, we think that they'll stick with us over the long term. Right, right. Got it. Okay. Okay. So then can you talk a little bit more about that, about that person who is, who is a typical customer? You mean, you obviously talked about the immigrants who's come here. Obviously they're, you know, you're dealing more with the thin file, no file type crowd, but are these people who really are professionals who've come here or, or are they, you know, why don't you just give us a bit of a profile? Yeah. Well, the thing about that thin file, no file crowd is that we were all once members. Right. Everyone is born credit invisible <laughs> and, you know, from the, the industry's perspective, subprime, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we find today that our product is a really good fit for folks that are seeking to establish and build their credit. So oftentimes for the first credit card in someone's wallet, um, we also are a really good fit as the second or third card as well. So we have folks who were previously only able to qualify for a secured card, for instance, and they're able to upgrade from that secured card to use our product. Um, I mentioned that the underwriting allows us to extend more credit. So we're able to give people credit lines that are significantly higher than what they would get from similar introductory credit products. Um, So we see a lot of young people, we see a lot of of, of immigrants, and more and more we're attracting interest from consumers that are outside of the category that I just described, um, and people that have been attracted to us more because of the product and because of the brand. Right, because so you're attracted to you because of sort of the usability, is that that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. I think that people are looking for that sort of simple, modern, intuitive user experience, you know, the same way that we're seeing customers flock to uh, neobanks and to um, some of the mobile first stock trading platforms, Robinhood, for example. I think that people are looking for a similar experience in the credit card space. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, you know, I want to dig in a little bit into the underwriting piece, and you, you've touched on it already, but I want to sort of get a, a much clearer picture if I can. And then, so what is it? Are you just, is your primary tool to sort of dig into the borrower's bank account so you can, you can really get a sense of cash flow or what, or is there, is there a multitude of things? I mean, how are you, how are you approaching underwriting? Sure. And, This is an area in general where I think in the industry, there's been far more sizzle than there has been stake. Mm -hmm. Um, That people talk about, you know, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning. They talk about very exotic data sources. But when you get down to what 
actually is in use in the market, practices tend to be fairly consistent. At the end of the day, 99% of all of the lenders that are out there are using information that they get from the major credit bureaus and from the, the potential customer in the application form. We actually are reliant on a whole new set of data, which is the digital financial record of the consumer. And we use machine learning and we use sort of the latest methods of analyzing that information. But what's most important is that the inputs to our model are vastly different from what the rest of the industry is looking for. So this is, uh, we are an application built on top of essentially open banking rails. We asked ourselves in a world where the whole financial picture of a customer is machine readable, is digital, is uh, easily transferred by the customer. How does it make sense that we're looking only at essentially the liability side of a customer's balance sheet? Mm-hmm. We're looking at the amount that they owe and, and the amount that they've owed historically without a clear view into the assets or into the, the cash flows and the income of the prospective borrower. So before, you know, our, our perspective on this is before we start getting into the exotic world of alternative data, and before we start mining someone's social media or, uh, you know, making judgments based on someone's cell phone battery, we should begin by just developing the capabilities required to understand their financial condition. Uh, revolutionary concept, right? But, you know, anyone who's been in, you know, in lending for a long time, who has seen judgmental underwriting or has looked at the underwriting of larger products, you know, understands that the, at the core of the information you're looking for really is a question of income, stability and in income, and willingness to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and by allowing customers to share with us that holistic financial picture, we can really measure those things in a way that hasn't been done before. Right. So when you say you're allowing your customers to share, so are you saying like they connect their bank account, they, they connect their Robinhood account? I mean, what, what are the sort of things they're connecting? That's exactly right. Um, so folks are, are connecting their primary accounts. So checking accounts, savings accounts, if they have you know, liquid assets in other places as well, they can, they can connect those, uh, those sources of information also. Um, and that allows us to gain this more holistic picture. Um, of course, you know, when you apply for a mortgage, you turn over bank statements as well. The big difference here is in automation. Mm-hmm. The average cost to underwrite a mortgage in the United States is something like $8,000. Right. And obviously, in the credit card market, you can't spend $8,000 underwriting every single application. And so really, the innovation here is that the system is fully automated, that customers uh, connect their bank accounts, customers send us their credit information as well, and we algorithmically analyze that information and make a decision on the spot. So you know, we're able to tell customers um, from a credit perspective whether they're pre-approved in just a matter of seconds. Okay. And so then you can tell that, but then are you doing like risk-based pricing at all? Because you're going to obviously have people who, I'm sure there's people you deny, there's people that you approve, but they're really only just, just made the grade. And there are going to be others that you easily approve. What is your approach to pricing on your, on your card? Sure. So when we thought about designing a product that was appropriate for this huge segment of potential customers, 
it's really important for us to build something that had some flexibility baked in. Because again, if everyone begins credit invisible and thin file, right? We know that you know out of that potential uh, group of customers, we will have high, very high income folks um, with uh, uh, the ability to afford a very large credit limit. Um, we know that we'll have lower income folks and everything in between. And so our pricing ranges pretty dramatically. You know, we we try to match up credit lines, for instance, that are appropriately tailored to someone's financial position. You don't want to give them too much. Um, you don't want to give them too little. Uh, it's sort of a Goldilocks situation. So, you know, credit lines for us range from $500 on the low end to $10,000 on the high end. And the average is uh, around $3,000, which, you know, if you compare that to uh, other introductory credit card products, 10x, um, what you tend to see. Then APRs, uh, again, risk-based, range from 14, which is pretty low in the credit card market, up to 25, 26, which is where most introductory cards start. And then finally, the last piece, which is not risk-based, is that we don't charge our customers any fees at all. Um, but by having such a wide spectrum of pricing, we're able to, one, get the most leverage out of the sophisticated work that we're doing at the underwriting side. And then, two, we're able to serve a wider, a wider range of customers. Interesting. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that, that is, I've always, it's always surprising to me how, how so many credit card companies don't operate a, a wide band of pricing for their products. So that, that, uh, that makes sense. So then, so then what about how you, approaching fraud are you obviously there's going to be there's going to be some bad actors out there who are going to try and get this card what's your approach how are you fighting it yeah so this is something that you know everyone participating in the industry i think is facing we're fortunate in that you know some of the best fraud fighting tools are available even to new companies um, so, you know, we're working with partners that are really at the cutting edge of digital identity mapping, of transaction pattern monitoring, et cetera. We can kind of tap into the same technologies that are being used by the largest issuers in the market to make sure that we're keeping our customers safe and that we're also protecting um, our company uh, against fraud. One thing that we have going for us is that we are looking at more data at the application phase. And so we have more opportunities to get wind of something that doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So then I'm curious about how you are finding your customers today. I mean, where, I mean, you're obviously on the app stores. Where are you yeah, and, and I presume, I mean, do you do you require people to download the app? And tell us what the main channels are for acquiring customers. Yeah. So to date, the largest channel for us has been organic and word of mouth. Uh, we had 100,000 people sign up for a wait list when they heard about the product. And we've done only very limited advertising to date. So, you know, I think that First, you know, the product being unique, the technology being something that's new to the market has gotten the attention of the media. And we've been fortunate that a number of, of widely read outlets have told our story. So I think a lot of customers have heard about us from those sources. We are available in the App Store and uh, we have apps on, on both uh, iOS and Android. We've been uh, doing some digital advertising now and 
over the course of the next year, uh, we plan to engage in multi-channel advertising to get the word out about the program even further mm -hmm. um, so that customers will be able to, to find us in a variety of different sources. You know, but we expect that word of mouth uh, to really continue. One of the things we've been very proud of is our NPS score with our early customers. And, um, you know, even though we've only been out in the market for uh, a short period of time and uh, there's still a lot that we want to develop in terms of uh, features and perks and functionality that we offer through the product, we've been able to achieve NPS scores in the mid-70s. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, uh, NPS, for those that are, are not familiar, is that question that, that uh, uh, companies ask that, that says, you know, how likely are you to recommend this product or service to, uh, to a friend or a family member? Mm -hmm. And you know, the average in credit cards, I think, is in the single digits. Um, the average in financial services is something like uh, around 30 in the mid-70s, you know, we're up there with really some of the most loved brands like Apple and, uh, and others. Um, and so that is a good measure of word-of-mouth potential. Um, so we're, we've been very proud of, of being able to achieve that. Right, right. So then I, I'm curious, I mean, you, you said you've only been out for, for a few months. I mean, when, when did you actually launch your first credit card? Yeah. So as it turns out, Building a nationwide credit card program from the ground up is uh, it's harder than it sounds. <laughs> it um, sounds hard, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where if, if I had known back then what would go into this, I don't know if it would have made all the same decisions. Right. I, I, I joke a little bit, but, um, you know, we're, even though we're a small company, you know, we're doing, you know, just about everything that, you know, the, the largest credit card issuers in the market are doing from the marketing and advertising to uh, underwriting and decisioning through the whole customer journey and customer support all the way to the end of the life, life cycle collections and everything in between. So to stand up that whole platform and to do it in partnership with WebBank and with Visa certainly takes some time. Uh, in, in, in the development phase. So brief history of the company, we uh, put together kind of the very early team, you know, the first 10 people at the beginning of 2017, the end of 2016, spent 2017 kind of building out that platform and developing the software, et cetera. Towards the end of that year, began to issue our first credit cards. So we did that. Uh, in a beta program, and first just operational, and then kind of expanding in terms of the robustness of the beta. And then finally, in the middle of 2018, we had finished the end-to-end -end testing of the program, et cetera, and we were able to start issuing our first credit cards to customers. So have you, have you gone through the 100,000 people on your list, and, and uh, does everybody have one who wants one? So everybody on the list has the uh, the opportunity to apply. Right. Um, so we are now publicly available. You can go to the website at uh, pedalcard.com and you can apply for the product right now. Okay. Okay. So then you've you've obviously you've got a few months of history behind you. You must have. I mean, the great thing about a credit card is that you get a pretty quick window into your credit performance. So what, what can you right. say, you know, you've, it's, only, it's only been a few months, what can you say so far about the performance of your portfolio? Yeah, you know, even with a credit card, it does take some time 
to really measure your performance. Um, you know, you, you tend to see uh, defaults on credit card loans later in the customer life cycle, year two, year three, et cetera. But there are a number of attributes that we can begin to look at, like utilization of the credit line, for instance. So far, we're feeling really good about our approach. And I think that um, it has to do with the fact that we are not relying on a, an untested exotic data set, but that we're talking about people's income, their savings, their monthly expenses. So, uh, you know, one of the things we're, we're most excited about is if you look at the population of folks who have come to us and qualified for the card with no prior experience with credit, um, the truly kind of credit invisible segment, we're seeing performance from that segment that mirrors the performance that we see from folks who have applied with prime credit scores. Um, that's in terms of their utilization, uh -huh. uh, in terms of their enrollment in AutoPay, um, which is another indication of, of folks that have, have the ability to easily pay their, um, their obligations. We really think that we've been able to uncover a good segment of customers that we've been calling the invisible prime. Um, that, you know, from a traditional scoring perspective would appear extremely high risk. But actually, if you dig in a little bit further to the data, you find that they are folks that are going to have a 750 plus credit score. They just haven't had the opportunity to build it yet. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So then is your business model like a traditional credit card company? You're just you're making money off the interest. Is there is there, is there any other way you're generating income? Interchange is really important in a, a credit card business. Um, sure. So uh, a lot of our income comes from the merchant fees as well. But those are the two primary sources, uh, interchange and interest revenue. Right. Okay. Yep, for sure. So then how are you getting the money to fund these these credit lines with these cards? Who like like who has been who has jumped in early to be uh, part of your the, the funding sources? Sure. So our primary funding sources are uh, Jeffries, the International Investment Bank, and Silicon Valley Bank to date. But we are set up uh, in a, you know, from a, a legal perspective in a, in a manner that's very similar to a marketplace lender, where we work with the bank to originate uh, the loans, or in our case, to originate the receivables, and then those receivables are financed on the, on the back end. Um, and so we have these investors, Jefferies and Silicon Valley Bank, for instance, that essentially finance the receivables. Um, and as we grow, you know, we are, you know, planning to work with the, the sorts of investors that, that uh, are interested in that asset class and sort of larger and larger um, institutions. So eventually, you know, we're set up in a manner that will allow us to securitize just like any large credit card company might do. Right. Okay. So... You know, I downloaded your app before this interview, and when, when you actually load it up, it says a credit card with a conscience. So obviously that's sort of a, something that you're promoting. What do you mean by that? And tell us a little bit more about sort of the thinking behind having that come up every time someone opens up your app. Sure. So when we started working on this product, we realized very quickly that when it comes to the new-to-credit audience, it's, the problem is not just that people have trouble qualifying and when they do qualify, they don't get enough credit or their APR is too high. 
We also found that the needs and expectations of these consumers are not being well met by the traditional options. I think that in the credit card space generally, you have a lot of focus and attention on the most premium customers, sort of that prestier uh, tier of customers that have super prime credit scores and are looking for travel rewards and paying large annual fees. A lot of the marketing dollars and the thought and effort from the big institutions goes to fighting over those customers. At the same time, if you look at the tens of millions of customers that are newer to their credit journey, the products don't seem particularly thoughtful from our perspective. You see very little in terms of financial education. You see very little in the user experience that is tailored to the needs of that customer. And really what people are looking for is the kind of simple, modern, transparent experience that they've come to expect from service providers across other facets of their life. And I think that you know, there's this trend towards greater transparency and towards wanting to do uh, business with companies that will act in the customer's best interest. This is a trend that is playing out on a, on a very large scale, and it's just starting to take root in financial services. So a lot of introductory credit cards are larded with fees, have very high interest rates, and don't help even a brand new customer who's brand new to credit to understand how to use the product responsibly. Almost everyone has either personally experienced or knows someone who's experienced the process of getting a first credit card and using it like it's monopoly money and running up a whole bunch of debt inadvertently. Um, so we're trying to design a product that uh, takes a totally different approach to that relationship. We know that our customer group in particular uh, would benefit from a product that is easier to use, that helps you to make more informed financial decisions. And so, you know, we're, we're like I said earlier, working to help our customers to financially succeed um, and not the alternative. Uh, we don't want folks to pay unnecessary fees. We don't want people to run up debt that they can't pay back. We want instead for people to make the right financial decisions and set off successfully on their financial journey. That's what we mean by credit with a conscience. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. We're almost out of time, but just a, just a couple more questions. You know, you've chosen an endeavor that, as you, you, you mentioned it already, that, you know, it's not easy starting a credit card company. You don't get a bunch of, uh, you know, there's not, it's not like a hot thing to go and start a credit card company like it might be at a neo bank these days. But right. <laughs> it, so I'm curious now that you've, you're looking back. I mean, you've obviously, you've obviously overcome a great deal of hurdles and you're alive and you've got a, you've got a, uh, you know, a, a real business now. What, what's, what's the biggest challenge now for you guys as you, as you're starting to grow your company? Yeah. You know, I think that for us, it, we're, we're starting to face the challenges of the scaling phase of the, the development of our business. Um, so we've been able to you know, successfully develop the product, get a product to market that users are, are, are really responding to, that users like, that you know, fills an unmet need in the market. But we now have to go from, you know, the a small company and small program that we have today to a program that can support tens of thousands, not 
hundreds of thousands or millions of customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are you know, dramatically increasing our headcount. Um, we are over 60 people today. At this time last year, we were about 16. Um, so, uh, you know, really growing in terms of our own capabilities. And that I think, you know, along with that, we'll be looking to get the word out about the program and to, um, and to really kind of grow with our customers and make sure that we continue to deliver a product that's really useful and valuable to them over the long term. Okay. So, so then what in the, maybe in the last question then, in, the, in sort of the, in 2019, we're still here at the beginning of 2019, what will success look like for you? you know, what, are, what are your goals uh, for this year? We've set uh, goals in a pretty ambitious manner. This year, we are looking to expand our customer base by about 10x. We are looking to significantly uh, increase the features and functionality that we offer to our customers. And we're looking to really establish ourselves as a legitimate alternative to the mainstream options in our category. Mm-hmm. So today, when you think about getting a first credit card, if you ask someone on the street, you know, they might send you to Capital One or they might send you to Bank of America. By this time next year, you know, we think it would be amazing if folks, you know, added pedal to that to that conversation as something that people can check out and and you know a real alternative to, to, to what's previously existed in the category. You know, if you look at um, the growth of marketplace lending in the personal loan category, 10 years ago, almost entirely dominated by the banks. In terms of online lending, very little activity. And over the last decade, you know, we've seen the online marketplace lenders take something like 35% of that overall market share. In the credit card category, you know, we're, we're I think where the personal lending, marketplace lending was 10 years ago, where you know, this huge consolidation in credit card. I think that the top four or five issuers have 90% of the market. All the products that are in the market come from a um, traditional bank. But over the last year, there's been something like $300 million invested in new technology-focused startup credit cards. And so I think that, you know, we're in the early days, but we're going to see a similar transformation in this category just like we're seeing in terms of checking and the neobanks, just like we're seeing in wealth management and stock trading and like we have seen in some of the other lending categories. We're very excited to be a part of it on the ground floor. Okay. Well, best of luck with that, Jason. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much. Great chatting with you. Okay. See ya. All right. Take care. It is interesting to me that that most of the innovation that's happening in the credit card space is really happening at the prime end of the spectrum. You've got all these different reward cards. I see new ones coming out all the time that are really targeted for the the premium customers. But in the in the subprime space or in the in the non-prime space, shall we say, they're really you know there's there's a few secured credit cards and there's there's certainly a handful of fintech companies trying to attack this problem. But it, there isn't there isn't sort of this surge of innovation that you that you've seen in other areas of fintech. So it'll be interesting to see if Jason's right and this is is going to become the next kind of, you know, the next frontier of, of fintech. They certainly have, you know, they've got some big goals and they've got an interesting approach. And, uh, you know, I wish them all the best. It will be fascinating to watch them as they progress. 
Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's happening April 8th through 9th at Moscone West in San Francisco. It's going to be the largest fintech event held in the Bay Area in 2019. We'll be covering online lending, blockchain, digital banking, and much more. You can find out all about it and register at lendit.com.